Hey everybody, welcome back to Discipleship Podcasts put on by the Bend International Church of Christ. I'm Joey Hungerford and I'm excited that you've tuned in. It is now 2024 and we are going into season nine, talking about disciple making through the month of February and countercultural hot topic issues in the month of March. So please stick around for the three or four episodes on disciple making and not just skip forward to the hot topics of race gender, sexuality, politics coming up in March. I hope you stick around for all of it. Hey, if you haven't yet, please share with a friend, like this podcast, give it a good rating, maybe even a review on whatever platform you're listening to. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a blessed day. Yeah, recapping last Sunday and last Friday night, we talked about Acts 20 last Sunday. And why is disciple making the core mission of the church? And in Acts 20, you see Paul there. He is with them the whole time and from house to house and in these relationships of truth and tears. And you see that it's those kind of relationships that end up building the church. The fruit of those relationships is this family that help one another to become more like Christ. We, We briefly touched on Ephesians 4 at the end of that sermon where We're here to equip each other for works of service, to mature into the head of the body, which is Christ. We're connecting with each other as the ligaments of that body. That's what we spoke on last Sunday. And then we we touched on it a little bit. We leaned into it more Friday night, the idea of it's really not about trying harder, but about training together. Many people, they want to follow Jesus or engage in discipleship, and they go, put me in, coach, and they They try a little harder, like, I'm going to start having a quiet time to get closer to God. I'm going to start uh, telling my coworkers about him. But doing it alone or doing it without others discipling us, uh, doing it without advice, sometimes we can try harder. And then we we don't end up actually being transformed or breaking that. (laughs) I'm not going to make any jokes. There you go. (laughs) Uh, I thought someone was praising from behind. That's awesome. We end up trying harder and we end up getting burnt out when it's not done together in community. That's what this community is for, to help each other become like Christ. So Friday night we touched on Philippians 4.9. Paul says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. It takes practice, not just trying harder. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God breathed and is profitable for training in righteousness. It takes training together with the word of God to train one another in. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount, which we touched on in the first sermon in this series, Jesus bookends it with that first, uh, put this into practice and it will go well, well with you. And then by the time we reach Matthew 7, he mentions it again. If you do not put it into practice... You're like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So training together is what Jesus has in mind. Rather than, here's the Sermon on the Mount, now try harder. (laughs) We're not going to be successful that way. So are you trying or training? Uh, You know, are people helping you? Do you have a pattern, a place, a people to help you become like Christ? to fulfill his mission. 
to follow him as he followed his father, to imitate him, his presence, his purposes, his postures. We want to be training together and not trying. So Friday night, we hit the illustration of how do they train in your workplace? Um, if they're training in the kitchen or the lab, how do you help somebody to know what they need to know so you can be co-laborers together to succeed in the core mission of your workplace and your vocation? And people said great things. You make yourself available. You ask lots of questions. You assume that the new person doesn't know. You show them and then watch them. You walk through the mistakes they will make in order to learn better for next time. I think those are some helpful things from the workplace. But then we also have to look at the church, and we definitely look at Scripture and imitate that. But I think sometimes the world can look at the church and say, hey, I know how training together and practice goes in my workplace, but it seems like in the church, there's a lecture on Sunday morning, and you sing some songs, and then you left me to try all of this solo and try harder, and then to show up next week and sing more songs and hear another lecture. Where's the practicing the way together? Or as I've mentioned before, if you put it in the sports analogy, my wrestling team in high school, the coach would show us a move. They need partners up to show each other the move. So he would make sure that we could teach one another and knew the move ourselves, and then we would drill it and drill it and know the basics. And then as a team, practicing every week, and hey, if I didn't show up, the coach would call my dad and say, hey, is Joey okay? Where was he today? Um, but if we came together once a week as a wrestling team and heard a lecture and sang some songs about what it would look like if we hypothetically wrestled each other, <laughs> and then I showed up at the meet, I would get pummeled, and I'd be out of breath by the second round. <laughs> it takes practicing together. We don't want people to be set up to be pummeled spiritually, we want to set each other up to win and to become more like Christ throughout the week. And I don't call anyone's mom if they don't show up for church. <laughs> I did call James yesterday and say, hey, I can't make it to the pink party, man. I hope it goes well. Because it should look like a calling each other and encouraging one another daily kind of relationships beyond a Sunday morning. God designed us to be transformed in community, he didn't design it, design it for you to try and grow up into Christ on your own. So now we can get into today's sermon. You can follow along with the worksheet if you like. We're going to just look at Luke 5 this morning at a person who I think was trying harder in this circumstance. Trying very hard, in fact. And Jesus had to teach him something and call him to something. In Luke chapter 5. We're asking the question, what's the result of disciple making? And the short answer is, disciple making results in a church that grows fruitfully and loves generously. If you want a handle for the sermon, I sort of organized it with, if Jesus gets close to us, he can annoy us. And you'll find out what that means. That's point number one. If we let Jesus get even closer, he can scare us. And if we let Jesus get even closer, he uses us to make disciples. So, the scene in Luke 5. Somebody who is trying harder. We meet Simon Peter, and he's having a bad day. What, what was Simon Peter's profession? 
fisherman. That is right. This is his livelihood. Uh, many of us have heard this story before. There's two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. They're back from a trip, but they haven't caught any fish. That's got to be pretty annoying if you're a fisherman, right? It's their line of work. They've actually already met Jesus, and they've been hanging out with him for a few months. They've been going to weddings with him and events, and they've seen him do a couple of miracles. They've spent a few months with him, but we're about to see Jesus' official call to Simon to follow him. And we should ask ourselves in our own following of Jesus what that call looks like for us. So they're out on the water all night because you fish at night. As far as I know, I'm not a fisherman, but I'm hoping to make some illustrations about fishing. They're out there all night. It's a lot of fishing. I'm sure they are tired. This is how they make money. I'm sure they're disappointed. They catch absolutely nothing, zero fish. Now, if maybe you're all pro fishermen, but if you were to go out and fish, how long would you try until you gave up if you weren't catching anything? 10 minutes, okay. <laughs> We can begin to relate here. <laughs> Ten minutes. I'd give it a couple hours. I'd try to meditate there, and I don't know what I would do. <laughs> yes, you can imagine all night takes some dedication. You can imagine you might be in a bad mood this morning when we come into this scene. So he's scrubbing his nets. He's probably done, ready for a nap. Scrubbing his nets because he's not planning on going back out. He's having a bad day. And then this crowd shows up, and all of these people. And I'm sure his social battery is extremely full, and he goes, oh, awesome. I can talk to everybody over here. <laughs> they can see that I'm not a good fisherman. Great, okay. Because where Jesus goes, this crowd follows. And then Jesus is about to talk to Peter. He says, uh, we're going to read the actual verse, but he says, hey, you don't mind, Peter, if I, if I take your boat out? And if we, if we do this again, even with how you're feeling right now. You know, uh, Jesus didn't respond to his feeling right there, but he said, hey, Peter, I want to call you out to do this. Let's read the verse. Here's how Luke tells the story in Luke chapter 5. There in the first three verses, it says, He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. I can't imagine if someone got in my car and said, Hey, can you drive me over here? Jesus is just preaching. The crowd is amazed as always. But when he finishes the sermon, he sends the crowds away. And Simon is probably thinking, Man, I can finally call it a day. He's probably going to go get some sleep and Jesus says, hey, let's go out fishing. Let's go a little deeper. Let's let down the nets one more time and see if we can't catch something. In verse 4, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Imagine what Peter's thinking. I'm exhausted. We fished all night. We can't catch a single fish. In fact, daytime isn't the time when you fish. Do you really know what you're speaking about, Jesus? In addition, we fish in the shallows. What do you mean go out into the deep? Or perhaps we already tried that too, Jesus. And we just got done cleaning our nets. This perhaps is a little ridiculous, maybe even a little bit annoying. 
Anthony said he worked 11 hours in the kitchen yesterday. If they said, you know what, Anthony, let's, let's try another 11 hours and see if we can just set up the crew for Monday. And, um, or, you know, I think a bunch of customers are about to come in at 8 p.m. tonight. So let's just keep committing to working. Verse 5, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's what Simon actually says. Because you say so, I'll try again. See, when Jesus gets kind of close to us, he can kind of annoy us when we don't know exactly what Jesus is doing. After all, Simon's the fisherman. Jesus is not the fisherman. Jesus is presuming or pretending or inferring that, hey, I know how to do this better than you. He's the carpenter, right? So it's kind of like me going, hey, Anthony, let's go out and disc golf. And Anthony's a pro disc golfer. And I said, you know, you really ought to throw it this way. Just, you know, let me grab your hand. You know, you, you kind of you do it like this. And actually, that's what happens every time I go out to play disc golf, because I don't know how to disc golf, and I need a lot of instruction. Or, you know, Megan and James just had their one-year wedding anniversary, and congratulations. And it, but it would be like me, hey, you guys are planning a wedding. Awesome, Megan. I'll plan it for you. Just give me your checkbook. Um, I know how to do this. <laughs> if Amanda's planning her D&D campaign, I go, oh, Amanda, yeah, show me your miniatures. You know, you really ought to just repaint this one. Give, give me that brush, you know. We're going to just change the color. And let's rewrite this campaign as well <laughs> and make it go in this direction. I want to pick on a few more people. Let me see. <laughs> you know, Roy, let, let me help write the appeal and take on the case and represent this for you. I'm sure your client will understand. And Clint, let me, let me hop on that horse. Let, let me show you. I have some ideas. Don't need a saddle. Let's try this. I saw it in a movie once. I read about it in the Bible once, so let's just do it. Okay. <laughs> You're thinking, as you rightly should, no thank you. <laughs> um, Joey, no, you kind of belong in your field, your sphere, your kind of do the church stuff over there, Joey. As you rightly should tell me, no thanks. Um, no, I, I think that you might hurt rather than help in that situation. This is uh, my checkbook. This is my case. This is my campaign. This is my, my students, my horses. Do you call them student horses? Not quite. Okay, okay. I just can't wait for Clint to give us a lesson on this. But the problem is, as you rightly should tell Joey, this is my life and I know how to run it a little bit better than you in this area, we sometimes can tell Jesus the same thing. Jesus, this is my checkbook. And this is my remote control. And this is my D&D group, Jesus. You don't tell me how to spend my money. You don't tell me how to use my free time what to say and how to say it. Leave me alone. I'm doing fine. Jesus, you, you belong just in that ministry stuff and that church stuff. You belong on that Sunday morning. And when you tell me all that Sermon on the Mount stuff and that you know how to live my life better, no, I, I think I know how to live my life better. Because Jesus, I've always gone to these websites and I've always watched this stuff, and I've always hung out with these people, and I know what I'm doing better than you, Jesus. That's where we want to be careful not to go. If we let Jesus get even closer, 
he can start to annoy us. When it comes to our finances, our friendships, movies we should watch, we might say, you know, I know how to run my life better. In fact, I've always done it this way. I've always told these kind of jokes. I know how to run my life. I've been doing it a long time. Simon says, I'm the fisherman. You're not a fisherman. This is my turf, Jesus. Your turf is over there. So when Jesus annoys us a little bit in an area of our life, we can say, Jesus, I don't need you. I don't need you in this area of my life. I definitely don't need Joey, but I don't think I need you either in this area of my life. Well, when we get closer, Jesus can then scare us. Simon lets down the nets. All right, Jesus, if you say so. All the while knowing it's probably not going to work. And yet... Look at verses 5 through 7 in Luke 5. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. If you let Jesus get even closer, then wow. Something's going to happen. Jesus really does know what he's talking about. Wait, Jesus does know what I should do with my checkbook, but that's a little bit scary, right? <laughs> Maybe, uh, maybe I actually don't know how to figure out these relationships in my life. Maybe, maybe I'm kind of a jerk sometimes. And when Jesus says, treat others the way you want to be treated, maybe he's on to something. I don't know. Maybe when Jesus says to forgive others, maybe he's on to something. Maybe Jesus really does know how to do relationships better and have life to the full. And as you read through Jesus' teachings, you realize, yeah, he... Jesus does kind of know how to handle money. He seems to talk about it a lot. In my friendships, in my marriage, in my anxiety, in my purpose in life, in my, in my workplace, maybe Jesus does know what he's doing. Maybe Jesus knows better. So Simon is no longer annoyed. Look at verse 8. He feels something else. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Let Jesus get close. He annoys you. Let him get closer, even closer he can scare you. Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. So rather than the annoyance of Jesus, I don't need you, it's Jesus, you probably don't need me. I'm, I'm a sinful man over here. Simon seems scared right here. Jesus, you don't need me. Have you ever thought about that in your discipleship? whether Jesus is discipling you on your checkbook or if it's a discipleship with the one another in this room. Um, I don't need you. Maybe that's right in some circumstances. but Or other times perhaps we disqualify ourselves and you probably don't need me. Because too often we get stuck right there telling ourselves those two things rather than engaging with each other and helping each other. Satan has a field day with those two thoughts. Simon knew that Jesus could do all these amazing things on Jesus' turf, but now he realizes Jesus can do some amazing things in my life too. So I'm a sinful man. Jesus, you don't need me. How do we get over those thoughts? Where are you with Jesus? Maybe you're thinking some areas where you're still in the shallows and Jesus is annoying you. I know how to run my life. 
doing it just fine. Or maybe Jesus is starting to scare you in some areas of your life. And so you say, yeah, Jesus probably doesn't really need me. That's a little bit scary. That's a little deeper. Maybe we're starting to be a little sobered up by our walk with Christ. You're no longer annoyed by him. You're scared by him because you know just what Jesus is capable of if he used you. And rightfully so, you know you're not fit to be one of his disciples. Especially not if you're trying harder or doing it alone. Away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. So a lot of people find themselves right there. I think we often revert to right there. Earlier this week, I was right there. <laughs> I don't think Jesus needs me here. I'm a sinful man. Thing is, many of us stay right there for far too long throughout our entire discipleship journey, our entire Christian walk. We have these unfinished bios. Have you ever seen that meme where it's like, you know, Lord of the Rings, if they just took the eagles to Mordor and dropped the ring in, then roll the credits, directed by Peter Jackson. It was a, you know, 20-minute film. <laughs> well, let's imagine that if Simon Peter, in his state of saying, away from me, I'm a sinner, roll the credits, end of story, no more Luke 5. <laughs> Peter doesn't go on then to do all of the amazing things to start and lead the rest of the New Testament church. Or think of anyone else who is afraid to follow Jesus. Moses saying, no, I, I have a stutter God. End of story. Roll credits. <laughs> Doesn't go back to Jesus. No, no nation of Israel coming back to their homeland. Or Mary. Mary, I want you to bear my son. How could I? I'm a virgin, Lord. No, I'm too afraid. Roll credits. No miraculous birth. We don't get any Christmas presents today. No, I'm just kidding. But we're imagining this because of a lot of us are living this week by week. We say, no, God, roll credits. I'm afraid on that one. Or we're waiting for the credits to roll. You know, I'll just skip forward to the go to heaven part, perhaps. Roll credits. Our story is paused and it stayed paused on this moment. You don't need me. I'm a sinner. And it can stay paused like that for decades. And one morning you can wake up and realize I haven't been maturing and growing up into Christ. I learned a lot the first year and then I kind of just repeated that year ten times rather than growing ten years in maturity as a Christian. Because I kept saying, I'm not needed, away from me, you don't need me, or I don't need you, Jesus. And then sometimes we could even fall for the gospel of sin management of I don't need discipleship. I, I can figure this out myself and I'll just manage my sin and still go to those websites and we get stuck. Trying harder and staying stuck. But when you follow Jesus, when you do that in community, you follow the way together, Jesus changes you. You can teach an old dog new tricks. It's not I'm going to stay paused on this area of my life. For years and years. So you might think, I'm, I'm not very good at reading the Bible. I, I don't think I could teach this to my kids and have a morning devotional. Pause on that attitude for decades and then your kids are no longer kids. I know what the Bible says about this habit, but I don't think I can give it up and pause on that attitude 
for decades, and then it's an even more ingrained habit. I know the Bible says to forgive and reconcile, but that sounds really hard, and really it's the other person's problem anyways, and I don't think I should have to do anything and pause on that attitude for decades, and that relationship never heals. Well, I know Jesus calls me to make disciples, but I don't think I'll be very good at it. Plus, it would take some of my time, or as Peter says, I'm a sinful person, and pause on that attitude for weeks or months or years. And then rather than, I love the song we sing, Be With Me, Lord, we go with Peter's, Away from me, Lord, <laughs> I am a sinful man. We need to have the Be With Me, Lord. Be with me, Lord, and grow me up into you. Yeah, it goes, be with me, Lord, be with me, Lord, be my only God. But we would rather sing, away from me, Lord, away from me, Lord, when I doubt, when I'm lonely, away from me, Lord. Don't do that. <laughs> You're going to burn out. That's trying harder. Away from me, one another, disciples. No, be with me. We need to do this together. Don't get stuck. Don't get paused. Are you guys with me? All right. I don't want to make you sing the song. <laughs> if Peter remained paused, he wouldn't have ended up walking on water. He wouldn't have given the good confession, you are the son of the living God. He wouldn't have gone and converted Cornelius, the first non-Jew, the Gentile to come to the gospel. He wouldn't have preached the first gospel sermon and seen the Holy Spirit show up for 3,000 baptisms and the start of the church. That was a big catch of fish right there. He wouldn't have ended up going on to Rome and preaching the gospel in the capital city of the empire and starting what became a movement. Preaching that first gospel sermon, going up to a Gentile, man, those things are scary. He could have remained paused, roll credits. You can use my boat, Jesus, but you can't use me. End of story. A lot of us have paused biographies right there. And we need to think about where does it need to be unpaused in order to be Jesus' story. The film, It's a Wonderful Life, he gets an opportunity to kind of unpause and go back, right? Some of us, every time I make a movie analogy, there's like half the crowd doesn't know what I'm talking about. So it's a wonderful life. <laughs> George Bailey, he's at the end of his rope financially, and he wishes that he'd never been born. So an angel, Clarence, comes to him and says, this is what life would look like if you had never been born. And he ends up uh, seeing that a lot of things are a wreck, his, his possible marriage, the town that he had helped out. And he goes up to the graveyard. He sees the gravestone of his little brother. And the angel Clarence tells him, your brother, Harry Bailey, he broke through the ice and drowned at the age of nine, which happened at the beginning of the film. He saved his brother at the age of nine before he could go back and wish he had never been born. And so George says, that's a lie. Harry Bailey, Bailey he went to war. He got the Congressional Medal of Honor. He saved the lives of every man on that transport. And Clarence tells him, every man on that transport died. Your brother wasn't there to save them. So then George Bailey gets the chance to rewrite his story. 
to make it the wonderful life and to not go with the narrative where he didn't save his brother, where he didn't reach out and do that. So, guys, do you have an unfinished bio in the same way? Do you have a paused attitude? Do you have a story that needs to be rewritten? Maybe like George Bailey, a coworker that you think, man, maybe I, I should reach out and help save that person. Because today we're talking about what is the result of disciple making, something very similar to where one person could become a disciple and save many other people in helping them become disciples of Jesus. Are you willing to let God rewrite your story to help you be unpaused with God holding the pen rather than you? Because I know for my life, some of my family members, some people in my sphere of influence, more people aren't disciples of Jesus, at least in part, and part of the reason why more people aren't disciples of Jesus is because I'm afraid and I get stuck and God couldn't use me. I'm a sinner. More people aren't saved because more Christians are afraid. Frozen in fear, pausing stories, or they tried harder and then they gave up and they didn't train together. Stories that are only half written and Jesus wants to write a story. He's got a plan for each and every life in this room. Not to be stuck in the shallows, but to follow him. To go deeper with him. To say, yes, Jesus, you can use me too. See, Jesus doesn't believe it's just possible for you and maybe you'll get around to it one day. It's Jesus' plan for you to make disciples who make disciples. Don't pause on that story. Too many of us have snatched the pen back, so it remains unused, story remains unwritten, people remain unsaved. St. Augustine said it this way, without God we cannot, and that's very important, but without us, God will not. He'll find another way, but he's placed you in your family and in your neighborhood to be one of those ways. More people let God write their stories, more people would be the result of disciple-making, would become the church, would grow the spiritual family. And we're partially right in being afraid because raise your hand if you're a sinful man or a sinful woman. <laughs> so just so you know, we are together on that. Amen? You can't just try harder on that. We need to train together. So actually, real quick, you guys could help me a little bit. This past week, I was shoveling snow for a neighbor, and um, we actually had a great conversation about the kingdom of God, and he invited me over later in the week and said, hey, I want to show you something. And so I, I came over, and he showed me this chemistry book, and he's got a whole wall of chemistry books, and he used to work for NASA, actually. Um, and he even had some books. I kind of commented, said, oh, wow, he had a lot of UFO books in there, too. <laughs> And he's told me before, I don't really believe in God. And I floated out there, hey, do you want to study the Bible sometime? But 
didn't really call him to respond with yes or no. And, um, so it, what I said to him, I was like, oh, man, you got to meet some of the smart people in my church. They, they know chemistry. <laughs> That's actually what I told him. <laughs> um, and then, you know, kind of have a nice day. Okay, goodbye. Um, which is totally fine. But, but I was also a little scared, a little intimidated by this guy knows a lot. <laughs> Should I ask him to talk about God again? Because he really knows his stuff. And so I kind of chickened out in that moment. I said, yeah, you should talk to Jesse sometime. <laughs> Man, what could I have done in that situation? Help me out. He recommended you talk to Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I could learn from him. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's very, man, get me a drink of water, please. I'd love to learn from you. Yeah. Sorry, that was total other story reference. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he knows some stuff. Ask about the design he sees in chemistry. Yeah. He's got reasons for that, yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought afterwards. <laughs> so you believe in the supernatural. <laughs> you know, I would ask him if uh, yeah. you agree that life comes from life. Mm. You know, and then you can start that conversation from there. Mm. Mm. There you go. Wow, guys, thanks for discipling me, <laughs> for troubleshooting that with me, <laughs> for helping me. Those are some great ideas, some I didn't think about. Um, yeah, I'll bring you over next time, and you guys can ask him those questions. That's how we help each other in discipleship, because we get scared. I get scared week in and week out. I can get held up in those conversations. Um, you know, there's, there's the mom at Search's swim class this week, and she said, oh, yeah, I'd, I left the evangelical church in town, and, you know, I, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to say, why? You know, I, well, truthfully, the kids were running around and I was watching them in the pool and got distracted. But we help each other in the replay think about, hey, here's what you could do next time. Or maybe I could go with you next time. That's how we help each other. Here's how Jesus helped Peter. Let's get back into the story and the context. He said, Peter, just try harder. No. In verses 8 through 10, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. That's the same identity, the same calling Jesus wants us to embrace in our lives. That's incredible that he chooses him and chooses us for that. It's as if he's saying, Simon, I know you can't kick very far, and I know you can't throw very well, and I know you're an introvert, but I want you on my team. I'm choosing you to be on my fishing for people team, not just any team. James and Jesse and Rich and Micah, I'm choosing you to be on my fishing for people team. Because I need people for that team. That's the method I'm choosing. I want you. If you're in this room, it's because Jesus chose you to be on his fishing team. And the result of us being on that fishing team is the spiritual family of the church, the fruit of it. 
Instead of catching hundreds of fish, Peter went on to start the church, as we see in Acts 2. When you make disciples, you always get the church. If you just gather and say, hey, here's the church, you may not actually get around to making disciples. But that's what Jesus calls us to do. <coughs> they call it church when you go out and make disciples together. So just imagine a church, imagine even this church, if each person is letting God write our story, letting God write your disciple-making journey, to help you be in discipling relationships, to see the Holy Spirit transform your life, I think God wants that to be you. So pay close attention to this final verse if you want to follow Jesus and answer his call, being a fisher of men. Verse 11, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Let's go to our Father in a word of prayer. Father God, we know you have a plan for our life. When we talk about the result of disciple making today, I'm grateful you chose me to be in this room and chose every other person to be in this room. To go out and fish for people, to be a team, to be a family to become more like you and help each other to do that, God. Lord, what's key in that is this regular rhythm of coming together to break bread, <laughs> to drink this juice that represents your blood and your body, to remember you, God. Lord, I pray that we can remember our identity in you. Remember that you chose us. Remember that you came to show us the example, that you gave us methods in how to make disciples to remember that you called us into this, God, and that we can't do it without you, Lord. Lord, if we feel disqualified this morning, I'm, I'm a sinner, I can't be used by you, help us to remember that you want to use us, God. And if we're feeling like oh, the inverse of that, Lord, God, we want you to write our stories. We thank you for your sacrifice. We want to love you back the way you came and loved us with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Jesus' name, amen.